You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. For today's podcast, we'll be continuing our series on cities with the help of Margaret Garb, Associate Professor of History here at Washington University in St. Louis. In her research, Dr. Garb has focused on turn-of-the-century Chicago. For today's episode, she'll transport us to that time and place. She'll describe how the city looked, how it was structured, even how it smelled. On the way, we'll discover how mass industrialization in the late 19th and early 20th centuries transformed American cities. So this is this period of dramatic and rapid industrialization in the United States. Industrialization sort of set off during the Civil War, but occurs much more rapidly from the end of Reconstruction and certainly the 1870s onward. It's a period of massive immigration, particularly from Europe, initially from northern and western Europe, but by the 1890s you're getting enormous numbers of immigrants from southern and eastern Europe. And a lot of these newcomers were arriving and settling in cities. Cities are becoming really densely packed, highly populated areas. The Lower East Side of Manhattan is probably the most densely populated area in the world by 1905 or 1910. This is a period of massive urbanization. Lots of people are leaving rural areas in the United States, again, beginning in around the 1870s, partly because of the rise of large-scale commercial farming in the West, where bigger farming agencies, companies are buying up smaller homesteaders and buying up land, partly because of the introduction of new technology like the McCormick Reaper and other machinery like that, which means that you don't need as much labor on the old family farm as you used to. So young people, are their labor is no longer needed on the farm, and they're getting up and moving to cities like Chicago, St. Louis, Detroit, certainly New York and Philadelphia. So it's a moment of massive and rapid change in terms of the structures of work, of housing across America. Now is when we zero in on Chicago. How did this massive industrialization, immigration, and urbanization look and feel from the perspective of a Chicagoan at the turn of the century? So in this period, a city like Chicago, for example, goes from being a walking city where you could walk across the city to being a city that's big and sprawling. It's a city that's increasingly class segregated, so you have neighborhoods of enormous amount of wealth and opulence and neighborhoods of tremendous amount of poverty. The city's sort of elite are moving from older neighborhoods first to the kind of west side, what's now the Wicker Park area, and then they move to the Prairie Avenue area just south of downtown Chicago, and then begin moving north to what's now, I guess, like sort of along the Magnificent Mile. As for non-wealthy Chicagoans? Immigrants are moving into the west side of Chicago largely and somewhat in the south side. Chicago doesn't have the same kind of uh, multi-story tenements that New York City has. Instead, 
you have, well, multifamily dwellings often built at either end of the block that would be three, four, five stories sometimes that would house large numbers of people. And in the middle of the block, often um, single-family homes or two flats that have been subdivided. You can still find this layout, apartment buildings on the corners, single-family homes in the middle of the block, in many Chicago neighborhoods. But certain important aspects of city life have changed since the turn of the century. There's no indoor plumbing (laughs) in most of these places, although the city is building and expanding its sewer and water systems through the 1870s through the 1920s. But in most of these houses on the west side, people are using backyard privies. Streets are unpaved. Sidewalks maybe have planks on them, but usually don't. Big, often big holes in the streets. Streets are dusty, dirty, muddy, depending on the season and the weather. Animals that die in the street are often left there, so there might be dead horses in the street. The image of a dead horse on a dusty, dirty street is not exactly a pleasant picture of Chicago life. But the lack of visual appeal was only part of the problem. The city's really smelly. Um, Chicago, especially because of the stockyards and major slaughterhouses on the south side, the wind carries the smell of slaughtering beef and pork through the city. The slaughterhouses dump all their waste into the Chicago River. There's no pollution regulations or any of that. The Chicago River is really dirty. And for a long time, it flows into Lake Michigan, which is the major source of water for the city, until the city fathers decide that they need clean water. And so they reverse the flow of the Chicago River. And so send all of that animal waste downriver to all of the villages and towns further downriver from the city and begin to try and provide a cleaner source of water for the rest of the city. That's right. The filth was so awful that the city of Chicago reversed the flow of the Chicago River in order to send the waste elsewhere. As you might expect, these circumstances took a toll on the health of the city. Public health is a major problem. There are regular outbreaks of disease, diphtheria, typhus. There's a cholera outbreak, which these are really terrible diseases, and they especially rage through immigrant neighborhoods. Mortality rates are quite high and certainly correspond to the lack of indoor plumbing and sewer and water systems in the city. So knowing all this, why would people choose to come to a place like Chicago? There are a whole range of new jobs in industry. Factories making boots, clothing, their garment trades in in Chicago, farm implements, enormous lumber industry. They're beginning to manufacture um, stairs and window frames, so sort of changing the way that housing is built, because now you can have prefabricated parts to put into housing. You no longer need to use skilled carpenters to make every part of the house. So there are industrial jobs in the city, as well as jobs in the stockyards. And that's what's drawing immigrants and migrants to the city, are these jobs that pay better and often are steadier work than work in rural America or in small towns in southern Italy or eastern Europe. In addition to jobs, new and exciting developments were happening in Chicago. In 1871, what was later known as the Great Chicago Fire destroyed much of the city. This tragic event gave architects the chance to design new buildings, buildings that would become defining elements of the American city. 
The other thing that you're going to see in the city beginning in the mid-1880s is the beginning of skyscrapers. The first skyscrapers are going to be built, some in Chicago, some in New York, but certainly Chicago is a place for the beginning of the use of whole new kinds of technology to build um, really tall buildings, steel-reinforced buildings. You also begin to see department stores in downtown Chicago. Marshall Fields opens after the fire. The introduction of plate glass windows downtown so that department stores can show off what they're selling. So you can be a window shopper and walk past a department store and look in and see a whole range of new consumer goods. And even if you can't afford those new consumer goods, at least you see how the properly organized home would look or the properly dressed lady would dress. And the department stores mean there are whole new urban spaces for women to come downtown. There are tea rooms in department stores. So these are places that are sort of new public spaces where respectable middle class and affluent women can go within the city and still hold on to their respectability. It's not, they're sort of not expected to simply be at home. Even though consumerism was creating new public spaces and driving economic growth, there was some concern about what this emphasis on capitalism meant for the image and culture of the American city. It's certainly true in Chicago. They're concerned that the city seems to be a site of just cutthroat capitalism, of sharp competition, of self-interest, and they don't want the city to be perceived that way. In order to prove to outsiders, especially in Europe, that American cities were more than dirty places with rampant consumerism and no taste or culture, wealthy citizens began to develop cultural institutions, like museums. Many cities are building art museums in this period. The Art Institute of Chicago, the Metropolitan Museum. The Met was built earlier but is really greatly expanded in the 1870s. And parks. There's a whole big movement to build and redesign urban parks to create open space for the immigrant poor. This idea that exposing the urban poor to nature, to beauty, to fresh air, this healthful environment, that this will help to improve their lives and to educate them and make them better citizens in a democracy. And libraries. Libraries are being built in major cities, often in this sort of grand Beaux-Arts um, style like the Cass Gilbert Library here in downtown St. Louis, drawing on a kind of European neoclassical design in order to encourage people to link the building itself to visions of ancient Rome and Greece and all those class, so-called classical republics and democracy and high culture, right, is supposed to all be linked through the kind of visual experience of the building. So while Chicago at the turn of the century was home to pollution and waste and greed, it was also becoming a vibrant urban center with an art museum and a symphony and even skyscrapers adorned with intricate terracotta detailing. And cities of this era had yet another way to prove to the world the benefits of industrialism. The World's Fair. Uh, World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893, and then there's a World's Fair in St. Louis in 1904. Both are efforts to show off the achievements of American industry. Both are celebrations of American so-called civilization. Both have enormous buildings filled with all kinds of new technologies. For many people, when they go to the World's Fair in Chicago, it's the first time they see electricity. 
which is obviously, it has to be an awesome experience if you'd never seen electricity before and you go and see this whole kind of city in the city um, lit by electricity, artificially lit. It has to be an amazing experience, an amazing sense of the power of technology and the power of American ingenuity and all of that. Many thanks to Margaret Garb for contributing to Hold That Thought. Dr. Garb will join us for a future episode to talk about social reform and urban politics at the turn of the century. You can find a link to her faculty page on our website. We're at thought.artsci.wustl.edu. That's thought.artsci.wustl.edu.